0: There we go. How's that? All right. <laughs> for those that are online, you can hear me better. Um, so I want to recognize those guys this morning uh, for that. And so I want to do that uh, in his absence. I want to recognize Chris Choice, who is, was affirmed last Sunday as our newest deacon here at Bethel Hope. He joins Felton LaFall as one of two deacons now at our, at our campus. And then also on last Sunday, we added two new elders, and we reaffirmed one of our elders, our only elder, since day one. (laughs) So I want to recognize those three guys uh, that are here this morning, uh, the three elders. And number one is the one that was reaffirmed, that's uh, Warren Abramite. Wave your hand, Warren. Everybody knows Warren. God bless you. We're so happy and thankful for all you do here at Hope. And then the two newest additions to our leadership team. Our two newest elders at Bethel and at Bethel Hope are Jerry Putman. Stand up, Jerry. Yes. God bless you. And Sam Hudson. Sam is already standing. Sam, wave your hand in the back. Yes. I tell you, uh, they just recently received their titles, but they have been leading and working as well as many others here at Bethel Hope since we opened the doors. And I'm so thankful to have them and all of you who have been lending a hand to this effort since we first began. So again, congratulations. uh, And thank you so much for being willing to offer yourselves yourselves in service to the Lord and to all of us that worship here. God bless you. We're so excited for that. Uh, I do want to... Uh, extend an opportunity, as we always do at this time, for meet and greet. And I know uh, Ann has already said we're kind of observing and recognizing some precautions, so we don't want you to get up and hug each other. Man, I miss those days. I do. I, I, it's everything I can do to keep from tackling some of y'all. When you walk in the door, I just want to grab somebody. Uh, <laughs> but we have to be wise. Tom, we have to be wise. Amen. So, just wave at each other, smile. You can grab and hug the person that you came with, maybe. Other than that, say good morning. If you're with us online, uh, you certainly can do that with your family. Uh, Say good morning. Offer a warm, pleasant, wholesome smile. Amen. And do that uh, so that we can meet and greet each other. And then with that, we want to... So, I also miss this, uh, our corporate... Our prayer time together uh, that was so so much of a blessing for us here at Hope uh, as we would gather around. I hope we don't have to continue to say we used to do that. Man, we may. I hope someday soon <laughs> we'll be able to do that again. But for right now we'll do it where we are. We'll still go to the Lord in prayer. We'll do it where we are. If you're joining us online please join us in prayer. We did uh, have our prayer time this morning at 930 and Mark that down and make a mental note that we do still have morning prayer at 930. I did it from home this morning. Some of you were on with me. Uh, we do still have 930 a.m. morning prayer. We do still want to have prayer time in our, in our worship time as well. So if there are prayer requests, just express them yourselves, and we'll go to the Lord. I do know of some from this morning. Uh, Rick Rogers' brother, I understand, has been, has a brain tumor. And uh, so we want to lift the Rogers family who has been going through many things recently. I think he just lost another brother recently, and his father not too long ago went home to be with the Lord. And So we want to lift the Rogers family in prayer. Let us not forget the East family, Kevin and Stephanie and all the kids and what Kevin is dealing with and his cancer situation. Uh, There are other requests this morning and praise reports. We got several praise reports this morning, at least two. From people that were on at 930 that said they had survived COVID-19. Uh, people not of our campus, people one of one was my cousin who lives in Beaumont, another was a, a relative of Joyce LaFall and uh, said that they had survived and they were doing well. And so we thank God for that. Praise report. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's good. So I know there are other requests that are here this in the building this morning and online. Uh, just express them yourselves, and we'll join together with you in prayer. Can we do that? Let's, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for uh, just how good you are, for the opportunity to be a part of this new day that we've never seen before. We thank you, Lord, that you watched over us all night last night. You kept everything that was dangerous away from us. You blessed us to have a restful night of sleep, and then you woke us bright early this morning. You touched us, Lord, with your finger your divine loving finger of love, and you allowed us to stand on our feet and make our way to the house of God, either in person or online. And we're so thankful for this, another opportunity to give you praise. We thank you for that. We look, we, we love you, Lord, for all you have done for us, not only just for what you've done for us, but for who you are. Because I agree with the songwriter who says, if you never do anything else for me, you've already done more than enough. You provided a way for me to have eternity, to spend eternity in your presence because you sent your son to die for me, and I thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for all the praise reports of those that have recovered from illness and sickness, and we lift up the families, those that are dealing with illness and sickness, the East family, the Rogers family, and all the other families Uh, the Brown family, Dennis and Donna, who's still praying for their daughter to be delivered from and to be healed from uh, COVID. And we lift her up to you. And all those that are in need of prayer, I know there are many, many, many prayer requests and many praise reports. We lift all of those up to you. Lord, we leave leave them with you. We love you and we trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I step down, I want to remind all of you, as Ann already did, that uh, we still want to make sure that we have opportunities to honor the Lord and worship the Lord in our giving. And so to that end, if you're here in the sanctuary and you prefer to give in person, there are baskets on the way out. Uh, but we do have all of the electronic, new, tech, high-tech ways as well. You can Just push a button and it'll be done. <laughs> Amen. So take advantage of whatever way. We don't want you to let the day pass without having the opportunity to worship. It is worship. It is a form of worship, right? To worship the Lord in giving. We thank God for how faithful and how good he has been to Bethel through this difficult and trying times. He has been a blessing to this church. I'm not just talking about this campus. I'm talking about all of Bethel. God has blessed, and we are thankful for that. We want to continue to honor him in our our giving. Amen? Listen, when I come back, we're going to pick up where I left off two weeks ago. Nate was here last week, and he I was watching him from where I was, and he did a wonderful job. Somebody stopped me this morning and said, Pastor, whenever you leave, make sure you get Nate to come back. Whenever you're out, not leave. Let me let me clarify that. I'm not going away. Amen. <laughs> hey let me clarify that. Uh, you know, because people will take that, and I'll be getting phone calls later today. And they'll be, you leaving? No. Let me clarify Whenever I'm out, temporarily, somebody said, listen, whenever you're out, make sure you get Nate. So I don't know, I'll I'll see if he's available, but I want to thank Nate, also Johnny Russell from three weeks ago who did an awesome job as well. But it is a blessing to be back with you, and I'm looking forward to Ruth chapter 3 in just a few minutes. God bless you.
1: that again just say my heart my mind my soul
0: God my heart my mind and my soul belong to you it's because you paid the price for me way back on Calvary so I praise you I lift you up and I magnify your name that's why my heart is filled with praise we thank you Lord we owe you so much Now, my prayer is that it would be all of you and none of me, that you would increase as I decrease, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength, and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Michael. such a wonderful job and having to do it solo. You've been solo for a few weeks now. We got to pray for the, you're doing a wonderful job. Amen. Thank you. We want to get to the place soon where the praise team will be comfortable enough and it will be safe enough to have them back to accompany Michael. And I think we're getting there. We just have to remain prayerful and not get in too much of a hurry. I think everything's going to be all right. In the meantime, he's doing a wonderful job, and we thank God for that. Um, so as I said earlier, we will continue today in Ruth, and we're in chapter 3 today. We've been in this series that I entitled, The Best is Yet to Come, for a few weeks now with a couple of pauses in between for guests to preach different things, but we will, if the Lord's If if it's the Lord's will, we'll we'll do three today and we'll finish up next week in chapter four. Uh, Amen. So we're looking forward to that. The best is yet to come. And throughout our time in Ruth, I've said that as we arrive at a new passage, a new segment in this story, that I have given each one of those segments a subtitle as well. So overall, we're looking at this blessing of the best is yet to come. I know that when Johnny came, he said, Uh, The best can be today. I know he said that, but I wanted to, I was watching and I wondered if I could have talked through the phone, I would have said, I understand that, Johnny, but the actual best, best won't happen today unless Jesus comes. Because that's the best that we're looking for, right? The overall best, the ultimate best is not dependent upon us. It is the hope that we look to in Jesus Christ. But there are some bests along the way that we can be encouraged by. And as we study the story of Ruth, we see that for her, in her situation, in her current dilemma and circumstances, both for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, that for them they didn't realize it in chapter one. But by the time next week we get to chapter four, they will have fully realized then. And so will we, that the best beginning in chapter 1 was indeed in store for them, or at least better, (laughs) was in store for them in chapter 4. And so along the way, we've looked at how this progression will lead us to the better for them, right? And so today we've arrived at chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3. We're going to look at this entire chapter and try to cover it. So if you're with me and you have your Bibles, or if you don't, the text should be on the screen. We're going to read all of chapter 3 right now. Ruth chapter 3. When I finish reading chapter 3, I will have, just as I have for these other segments of this story, I'll have a subtitle I'm going to share with you. But let's read Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And here's what it says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter. Should I, not, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you, might, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. As a subtopic to the best is yet to come, this is what I want to talk about today. When your heart is right, but your wisdom is limited. When your heart is right, but your wisdom is limited. There are, as, as I have studied, various thoughts on the entire book of Ruth. Uh, In particular, chapter 3, and what happens in chapter 3, as I've looked at it and studied various opinions and thoughts on what's going on here, there's a couple of schools of thought regarding the interpretation of Naomi's actions here. Uh, One of them is that it was a wise thing that she did. Uh, One was the opposite of that. Both of these schools of thought present valid arguments there's some valid validity in in both schools of thought today today I'm going to argue that her plan although well-intentioned and eventually successful was not the wisest it was not the wisest thing to do that's, that, that's my stance today. That's my argument today. Now You, you can debate me on that, but we'll, we'll do that later. Just, just follow along with me today and, and, and we'll see where we end up because there are two schools of thought. I'm, I'm arguing from this one. Just to recap, let me recap quickly so that I can bring you up to speed on where we are today and what got us to chapter 3. You'll recall that in chapter 1 we met a man by the name of Elimelech and his family. His wife Naomi, his two sons, Milon and Kalion, who were from Bethlehem, Judah. But there was a situation that had arisen in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and the place of praise. There was a famine in the land. And so what Elimelech decides to do is he decides to lead his family on a sojourn into a God forsaken place called Moab. They travel to Moab, and when they get to Moab, uh, the unthinkable happens. First, Elimelech dies, and then his two sons, who had married Moabite women, they die also. And then along the way, Naomi gets word that the famine has ended in Bethlehem, and she gathers up the two daughter-in-laws, and uh, she she doesn't gather them up. They just head back. On their way to Bethlehem, Naomi on the way tries to talk them into not going with her because she has nothing that she can promise them. All of her sons are dead. There's no more uh, sons left in her family, and she's too old to have new sons. So she tries to convince both Orpah and Ruth not to follow her because she has nothing that she can promise them. Orpah decides after much debate to go ahead and stay in Moab. And as I told you a few weeks ago, we never hear from her again. But Ruth says, I am going with you. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. I am committed to you, Naomi. And she follows her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem, Judah. Now, when they arrive in Bethlehem, Judah, uh, because Naomi thinks and considers that God is angry with her and, because, and, and she feels as if uh, her condition is a result of the decision she has made to follow her husband to Moab, when she walks into town, they recognize her and they want to call her Naomi. But she says, don't call me Naomi. Because God has dealt badly with me because of my decision. I don't feel, I don't, no longer do I feel like a Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm feeling bitter right now. Not feeling good right now. Hope seems to be lost for me right now. But when they arrive in Bethlehem, Judah, we are and they are introduced to a new character in the story. That man that every woman in here wants to marry. The ladies ought to say amen. They are introduced. See, I can't see you saying it. Got your mask on. I love. I want to see it. (laughs) They are introduced to Boaz. All the ladies want a Boaz. Some of y'all say, I already have my Boaz. Amen, somebody. Say it. There you go. That, and hug him. There you go. Hug your Boaz. That's right. They, they, we are, and they are introduced to this new character, Boaz, who is by, according to what the text says, he is a man of valor. He is a wealthy man. He is a property owner. Not only that, he is also a near relative. Of Elimelech. And so we're reminded that uh, Ruth, when she arrives, she her and, and Naomi are widows now, and, and they have no one to provide for them. And so the only thing she can do, being a poor widow, is to seek a field to glean in. You remember I shared with you uh, that the law said that the property owners, when they, when they were harvesting the field, they were not allowed to harvest the entire field. They could only harvest the inside portions. They had to leave the outsides and the corners for the poor people and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants so that they, out of compassion, could have something to eat. And so the text says that Naomi happens to find her way to the field of Boaz. And I told you then that it was not just a happen. It was not a coincidence. It was, that, 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 that's not, God does not operate in coincidences. She didn't end up in Boaz's field by mistake. It was God's, somebody help me with the P word. There you go. Thank you, man. Y'all with me today. Y'all, y'all acting like I haven't even been gone. That's pretty good. It was by God's providence, brother Sam. She ends up in the field belonging to Boaz and she gleans in the field. And when she's ready to go home to Naomi, guess what Boaz does? He blesses her with an ephah of barley. Somebody remind me, how much barley is an ephah? 50 pounds. And she gets home and Naomi says, where have you been gleaning today? And, Naomi, and Ruth says, I've been in a field that was owned by a man by the name of Boaz. And look at all this barley he sent home with me. And immediately where all hope had been lost, all of a sudden, Naomi gets her groove back. Not Stella, Naomi. Naomi. She gets a groove back. She's excited now. The she, hope that she thought was lost because there was no way for the family line to continue. It had been ended at the death of her two sons, Mylon and Kalion. And all hope seemed to be lost. But I told you two weeks ago that hope had been restored when the name Boaz came out of Ruth's mouth. It changed everything. The whole situation changed. And she said, Boaz is the man. And so she continues to glean in Boaz's field for six more to eight more weeks. And that brings us to chapter three. And now we've arrived at chapter three. Six to eight weeks have passed. And although hope had been restored, hope had not been fulfilled yet. There is still this excitement that's on the inside of Naomi. She's still hopeful. She's still wishful. There is excitement on the inside of her. But, bro, John, it's been six to eight weeks and it's not moving fast enough for her. Ruth, you had me all worked up and excited. Boaz, she hadn't even seen him yet, but she knows him. Got me all worked up and excited. And and now it's been six to eight weeks, two months have passed, and no progress has been made. What's a person to do? What is a person who has the best of intentions? to do. It's taking too long. Some of y'all, I know you got your mask on, but y'all should have been saying amen right there. Because we've all been there where it seems like it's taking too long. I was all worked up. I was all excited. God, you showed me this hope that I have and, and I was ready. I thought things were progressing and all of a sudden now it's been two months and I've seen no Progress. What 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 should I do? What what's a person to do? Chapter three. We've arrived. No progress. Is not to Naomi's liking, and so with the best of intentions, she comes up with what I would argue is a bad plan to speed things up. I know some of you are going to say, well, that wasn't really a bad plan because it worked. I'm going to tell you in a minute the reason why it worked. Amen, somebody. She comes up with what I would argue is a bad plan to speed things up. Um, so Naomi does this. Her heart is right. So, So why would I say this? Nowhere else in Scripture do we see a plan like this carried out. It's not like this was the norm. We'll talk about the plan. We just read it. We'll talk more in detail about it in a minute. But we don't see this happen anywhere else. And so I think it was just as I look at it and as I examine the text, it it seems as though she got a little impatient. And she comes up with with this plan that was born out of good intentions, no evil intent, no sinful intent, none of that. Her heart is right. But here's the problem. It's the same problem you and I have. Our wisdom is limited. Our wisdom will only take us so far. I know you think you are the smartest thing since Solomon. (laughs) I know. I know you do because I think that too about myself sometimes. Now look at me, look at, you know. I, but there have been times in my life, some of y'all need to say amen to this, where I had the best of intentions and I came up with the plan and it was the stupidest thing that I could have ever done. No sinful intent, no ill intent. I thought I was doing the right thing when all along, I, somebody needs to say amen and help me here because I'm not by myself. And all along it was the wrong thing, but here's the beauty. Because God is faithful, because there was no evil or sinful intent, God stepped in with his providential self and made it happen anyway. It plays out right here in Ruth chapter 3. Let me just say this. Let me pause here and say a word on planning. A word on planning, because I know we can, we can do that. We can mess it up, right? But I, here's what I would advise you. I would advise you, number one, seek God. But I would advise you to plan your next step. Don't just haphazardly do life. Sit down, consult with God, and plan it out. Right? Plan it out, because if you fail to plan you plan to fail there has to be some kind of a plan. Naomi's plan may have been a bit aggressive, but at least she did have one and god's gonna god's gonna see it to pass right uh, it, uh this 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 bad plan. Actually, I I, I say it was a bad plan. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm going to try to walk you through the reason why I'm saying this. So don't get angry with me right now. Just bear with me for a minute. I'm going to tell you the reason why. I think you're going to see it quite clearly. But, but, But this bad plan actually succeeds. We'll see it in a minute. It succeeds. I'd like to suggest to you that the success of the plan was not owed to Naomi's wisdom, but to God's providence. He is committed to keeping his promises. And not only to God's providence, but also to Boaz's character. Those are the two reasons why this plan succeeds. God's providence, Boaz's character. So here's the thing. God's providence had been leading all the way. And he wasn't about to back out now because of Naomi's questionable planning. He had been leading all the way. He had, he, in fact, not just in the book of Ruth, he's been leading since Genesis chapter 1. His providence has been prevailing. We finished up not long ago a series in Esther where we talked about God's providence. Before that, I was in a Bible study series talking about Joseph where we looked at God. God's providence is always around. And his providence had brought these people to this place in time. And he was not about to back out now. He had made promises. Right? So then let's look at this. I want I know you're anxious to hear why I say what I say. So let's look at the plan, right? The plan is, propo- is proposed in verses 1 through 5. We find the plan proposed, right? So, so here it is. In verse 1, this is what she says in verse 1. This is Naomi talking. Uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That's, that's, part, that, that, that's the foundation of the plan. She wants to seek rest for Ruth and thereby providing security for both Ruth and for her. Because you know what seeking rest means? It means marriage, that's, what, that's her plan. Her plan is Ruth needs a husband. And from what she has just heard in chapter 2, there is a likely worthy candidate out there. So she says, I need to seek, I need to seek rest for you. It meant the security and safety of marriage. That's what she means when she says seek rest. It refers to marriage and a promise from chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what she says in 1-9. She says, the Lord, she's talking to her her two daughter-in-law. She says, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Because in that day, security and rest and all of those things, provision, were only found when there was a husband around. And because the boys had died and these women were left as widows, there was no rest. Ruth had just come off of months of gleaning in a field. No rest. Naomi is now coming off of a time of worrying, thinking that all hope was lost because the husband and the sons had died. No rest. So she says, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm seeking rest for you. That's part of the plan. And here's how the plan is going to play out. Verse 2. Verse 2 starts. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Talk about what that means, right? Because we got to understand what's happening there to understand how, how Naomi is planning to carry out this plan. What, what, what's her thought, right? Winnowing barley at the threshing floor. That's where uh, Boaz is and Naomi knows this, right? What's going on there? The threshing floor was a flat, hard area on a slightly raised platform or unhealed. The people of Bethlehem would go there to thresh and winnow the barley. In threshing, the grain was beaten out from the stalks with flails or trodden over by oxen. It's where they prepared the grain, right? And in and, and, and winnowing, the grain was thrown in the air and the wind carried the chaff away. It's how the grain was prepared. Threshing and winnowing were a time of great festivity and rejoicing because it meant that the harvest time was over and it was time now to prepare the grain for the next step. It was a time of celebration and rejoicing. That's what it was. Uh, Threshing and wintering were time of rejoicing. Naomi knew that Boaz would be threshing and winnowing his grain that day and also sleeping near it in order to protect it from anyone who would have a desire to take some of it. She knew it. She knew exactly where he was going to be, what he was going to be doing. She's, she, she's aware of this and so she shares this information with Ruth. And then in verses 3 through 5, we're going to find out the reason why I think it was not a very good plan, not not wise advice. I think you'll be able to see it. All right, 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 brother Sam, I think I will. The plan unfolds in 3 through 5. In 3 through 5, Ruth uh, uh, gives some not so wise advice. Let's see what she says in 3 through 5. I I want to read it for you. It says this, Wash therefore... And anoint yourself. Uh, Let's talk about that for a minute. She says, "Wash and anoint yourself." Ruth has been gleaning for a long time, and the only time that Boaz has been able to lay eyes on Ruth is when she was working. She had her work clothes on. She wasn't very clean. She didn't have on makeup. She didn't have a nail painted toes done. She hadn't been to the beauty shop, none of that. He only saw her at her worst. And so Naomi says, wash yourself and put on some perfume. Prettify yourself. Because this man who I have designs on you for on him for you has never seen you all dressed up. So she says do that. Wash yourself and anoint yourself and dress up. Get all gussied up, right? Do that. that, that that's part of the plan. And then, and then, and then let's, let's finish reading that. It says this. Anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Again, I just told you that this was a time of celebration where they celebrated and it was festive and all of that. And so they had uh, great feasts and they had great drinking going on and all of this. And certainly there was alcoholic beverages being served. And so uh, it's likely that Boaz had eaten and he had drunk. I don't know if he was drunk, but I do know he had had some alcohol. His stomach was full. He had a little wine in him. And Naomi says, this is an opportune time. Watch after he's done all of this where he lies down. Now, let me just pause right there. If you haven't been able to follow and see why I think this was a bad plan, there's risk involved. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't just go in your work clothes. Fix yourself up. Fix your hair. Put on something nice. Put on some perfume. And then just stand by until you notice that Boaz has had a few drinks. And then watch where he lies down. And go to that place where he's lying down while you're dressed up, while you're smelling good, while you're looking good, and uncover his feet. Now, you can't tell me you don't see the risk. If anybody in here says you don't see the risk and the danger in this plan, you're not being honest. There's a risk. There's a, that, that, that's something that will, that will prevent this risk From fulfilling itself, I told you what it was earlier the providence of God and the character of Boaz, but nonetheless, there is a risk. Okay, let me me break it down because y'all are looking at me funny. How many of you mothers would come up with a plan like that for your daughter to get married? Okay, that's what I thought none of you would do. (laughs) Now you're with me. Now. It was not very—now, let me say this, her intent, her heart was right. She wanted this thing to work out. She knew that Boaz was a near kinsman. She knew that this man was destined to be Ruth's husband and that in Boaz, Ruth would find rest for both her and for Naomi. Her heart, that was no ill intent. There was no evil intent. I just suggest and submit and posit that the plan was not wise. Why? Because our wisdom can only take us so far. So she says, do that. Lie down, uncover his feet. And then to, to, to wrap it all up, tie it up and put a bow on it, here's what she tells her. After you've done all that, do whatever he tells you. See the mothers in here should have said what? Do whatever he. I'm gonna leave it up to whatever he says. This is not knowing so much what Boaz's response would be. She says, "Just go do and do what do that, and whatever he tells you to do, that's what you do." Now, can you at least? Can you at least? Agree with me just a little bit that this was not very wise. It wasn't very wise, was it? But this was the plan. The plan is proposed. Whatever he tells you to do, that's what you should do. And then from there, since the plan has now been proposed, let's look at this second part of chapter 3 when the plan proceeds. The plan proceeds. It's in verses 6 through 9. And here's what happens in 6 through 9. 6 says this. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. She does it. Just as she had been commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down and at the end of the heap of grain, then she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. She did exactly What Naomi had instructed her to do. And then here's what happens in in verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. It happened at midnight. The plan proceeds. It's going well. And then something happens at midnight. Midnight is... The darkest time of night. It's the darkest time of night. It's been said that you discover your theology at midnight. How many of us have ever experienced a midnight? I'm raising my hand because I have. I may be the only one in here, but I know if you don't raise your hand, you're not being honest. They even, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All of us, even all of you online, all of us in life, if you've lived long enough, have experience of midnight. You will, if you haven't yet, let me just warn you, when midnight comes and it will come, you will discover your theology. <laughs> You'll discover your theology uh, until midnight comes. It's all theoretical. It's just theoretical. When midnight comes, though, you discover the difference between theory and reality when midnight comes. When midnight comes, you discover that midnight can be a turning point. It can be a critical time in one's life. It can be and often is a fork in the road. Things can either go south at midnight or they can go north. They can go down or they can go up at midnight. There are, in fact, several passages in the Bible that deal with midnight. Can I share something with you? Okay, at least one person wants me to. Can I share something with you? Y'all know I like, I like call and response. Y'all say something. <laughs> There's there's several passages in the Bible that deal with midnight. Judges sixteen three sa- says this: Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them bar and all and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill of an hill that is before Hebron. That's Samson's midnight story. Samson's enemies, the Philistines, were trying to sneak up on him to capture him, which parallels his darkest hour at that time in his life. His turning point came when he arose at midnight because had he remained asleep, he would have been captured by his enemy. Psalm 119.62 says this about midnight. At midnight I will arise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Matthew 25.6 says this about midnight. And at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Mark 13, 35 says this about midnight. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even, or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Midnight can be a turning point. In Luke 11, 5 says this about midnight. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Midnight can be a turning point in one's life. Then probably the most familiar and famous midnight experience in all of Scripture is found in Acts chapter 16. Y'all remember and recall it, it's when Paul and Silas had been beaten, arrested, and thrown into the inner prison. Prison full of inmates, and something happens at midnight. Text says that it was at midnight, Leah, that they began to sing praises. Not worried, not concerned, not any of that sing praises at midnight. It was a turning point for them. They sang praises at midnight, and the Bible says that an earthquake came and shook the foundations of the prison at the darkest time of the night. The bands were loose, the doors were swung open, and they were set free at midnight. When it happened, this moment in Ruth chapter 3, verse 8 was also a turning point for Ruth because everything for her was riding on Boaz's response. He wakes up at midnight and he notices that she is laying with him, and here's his response in verse 9. His response in verse 9, though startled, was simply to ask. He was startled due to the, and due to the darkness, he couldn't see who she was. He already knew Ruth, but it was dark and he had been drinking and eating. And when he wakes up at midnight, he's startled and he doesn't recognize who she is because he can't see her in the dark. So his response is this, who are you? Who are you? That's his response. It's the question. It's the eternal question. It's similar to the question that God asked Adam in the garden. Where art thou? It's that question. Who who are you? Uh, uh, Boaz knows Ruth, but he can't see her in the dark, and so he calls for her to identify herself. Who are you? And for Ruth, as for many of us, her time of redemption happens at midnight. She responds, by seeking to be united with her Redeemer. How many of you again, by a show of hands, have had a midnight? I can. I've had midnights in my life. I've had more than one. But it was during one of those midnights that I, I sought the Lord and I sought to be redeemed by my Redeemer. I identified myself. I asked him to come into my heart and into my life, and he did. He redeemed me on the spot at my midnight. You, it was a It was a critical time for her. Uh, So so what she does, she seeks to unite with her Redeemer, and she does this. How, How does she do it? She says this to him, spread your wings over me. That's what she says, spread your wings over me. Through these words and actions, Ruth was making a marriage proposal. She, here she is, proposing to Boaz, spread your wings over me. She was requesting that Boaz perform his legal responsibility as a family redeemer. By asking him to take her under his wing, Ruth was reminding him of the blessing he had pronounced on her previously in chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what he says, may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth was now at midnight challenging him to become the human expression of that divine covering. Spread your wings over me and redeem me is what Ruth is saying. So we've seen the plan proposed. We've seen the plan proceed. Now I want to talk about that the plan actually succeeds. It actually succeeds. I almost just put succeeds, but I had to throw it actually in there because everything we've seen thus far would seem to suggest that this plan was sure to fail. It just didn't add up. It didn't make much sense for for a mother-in-law or a mother to do this to a daughter-in-law or a daughter. But the plan actually succeeds. The Redeemer test, it's in verses 10 through 17. I want to talk about the plan actually succeeds. The Redeemer test that Boaz began in chapter 2 that I shared with you a couple weeks ago continues here. Remember, I talked to you about the redeemer test that he had already passed. In chapter 2, we said that the criteria for passing the redeemer test then was number one, compassionate character. And he passed that. We could check that box because he had compassionate character. Number two, he was that one needs to be able to pay the price of redemption. We could check that box because he was able to pay the price of redemption. Number three, we talked about that they had to be willing to offer protection and provision for those that they were seeking to redeem. And we could check that box because. Boaz did all of that in chapter 2. Boaz had passed part A of the Redeemer test with flying colors. Now in chapter 3, we get to part B. There is a part B to the Redeemer test, and we see that Boaz is entering into it right now. In verses 10 through 11, we're going to find out part B starts with this, that to pass the Redeemer test, there must be extraordinary wisdom. It has to be extraordinary wisdom. You can't be a Redeemer unless you have it. Uh, my redeemer, the one that I serve, uh, is not, not only has extraordinary wisdom, he is omniscient, which means that he knows everything. His, 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 his wisdom has no limitation. But for Boaz, he passes the redeemer test because he has extraordinary wisdom. Look at how he responds in 10 through 11. 10 through 11 says this, And he said, uh, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Extraordinary wisdom. He responds properly. He responds wisely. He responds with discernment. He already knows about her. He's heard about her. He, 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 he acknowledges to her what kind of woman she is. He has that kind, that depth of an understanding and discernment about what's happening around him. He has extraordinary wisdom. And not only that, he makes a promise. I'm going to do what exactly exactly what it is you're asking me to do. I'm going to do it. His wisdom is a little bit different than Naomi's, right? His wisdom here is is, is displayed as being different than that of Naomi. Naomi has good intentions, but her wisdom is a little bit limited here because Boaz is a redeemer. His wisdom is extraordinary. He sees beyond the current situation, and he says, Listen, I am going to do it. I know what kind of person you are. I am going to redeem you. Part two of the redeemer test is this. That person has to have integrity and patience. In order to qualify as a redeemer, you've got to have integrity and patience. It's in verses 12 through 14. And in verses 12 through 14, uh, here's what he says. I am a redeemer, but there is one who is closer. I am indeed a redeemer, but my integrity says there is one who's closer, and I have to give him the right of first refusal. Now, I know because I'm wise, because I have extraordinary wisdom, that he's not going to do it because he's not willing to go the extra mile. We'll see that next week in chapter 4. But I am going to at least give him the opportunity. Initially, he's going to say that he wants to do it. But there's going to be a condition that I'm going to share with him that's going to change his mind about redeeming and being a redeemer. Because he's not going to want to marry you because you are a Moabitess. And that's what's going to happen. He has integrity, he has patience. He tells her to lie down until the morning. Let it not and then, and, and, and so he says, be patient. Then he says, let it not be known that the woman who came, that a woman came to the threshing for floor, he's concerned about her safety. He doesn't want anybody to know that this woman has put herself in this situation. So he's got integrity, he's got patience. Lastly, here's the last part of the the, the Redeemer test. He takes responsibility with compassion and kindness for others. It's in verses 15 through 17. In verses 15 through 17, you'll find out that what Boaz does is he does what he did at the end of chapter 2. Is he tells her to come over here to me with your cloak and hold it out because I've got something for you. And what I'm going to give you is not just for you, it's also for your mother-in-law because I have compassion for others. I'm not just concerned about myself. And so he tops what he did in chapter 2 because this time he gives her six measures of barley, which equals about 90 pounds. And here can you see uh, Ruth walking down the street trying to carry 90 pounds of barley in her garment? He's concerned. About others, here's what Paul says about it in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says, Philippians chapter 2. And so, the plan actually succeeds. It's looking good again. Things are looking up, right? It it succeeds. And so lastly, I want to share with you verse 18, Naomi's response. Lastly, here's Naomi's response. The Redeemer, the Redeemer's response, his response settles Naomi down. And her response is different than the one she had in verse 1. Her response in verse 1 through 5 is, I've got a plan. Her response in verse 18 is one word, wait. (laughs) She says to Ruth, wait, and he is going to do what he said he would do. She's trying to calm Ruth down, when she was the one who started off being impatient, now she's trying to calm everybody else down. She says, wait. His response has affected her thinking, and she says, wait, because he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Wait, she says, and it'll happen. I want to share with you as I prepare to close out that there is value in waiting. There's value in waiting. I know when I was growing up, one thing we used to say was this saying, it said this, wait. Broke the wagon down. Y'all ever heard that? Some of y'all country folks like me. I'm country. I'm from right around here. We you say, wait. But listen, let me tell you something. Also, there's value in waiting because not only was that a saying, here's another one. Good things come to those who wait. How many have ever heard that one? Well, if you've never heard either one of those two, can I share some scripture with you as I get ready to sit down about waiting? Psalms 1, I know you didn't say yes, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Psalm 135 and 6 says, 130 verses 5 and 6 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits For the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Psalm 27, 13, and 14 say this. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 37, Psalm 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on on the wicked who are cut off. Psalm 40, 16 says, be still and know that I'm God. And then lastly, one of my favorites. One of my all-time favorites. I talked about it this morning during prayer time. This is one of my all-time favorites. Isaiah writes in chapter 40, verse 31, but they... That wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Anybody wants the strength renewed? Anybody want to fly like an eagle? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Anybody want to not get weary, then wait on the Lord. They shall walk and not faint. Naomi says, wait after this plan had played itself out. And I want to say this to you. Our Redeemer is saying, wait for me. I've already come. I've already made the way clear. Wait for me. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. Listen, there were those in his day who had gotten tired of waiting and they thought the Redeemer or the Messiah would never come. But one day, He came to a virgin that had never known a man. And he was born in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He he grew up as a tender plant out of a dry ground, a root out of the stem of Jesse. He came because he had promised that he would come. And when he came, he lived. He performed miracles. And then one day, way out on a hill called Calvary, he hung, bled, and died because he is our Redeemer. Then the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as he thought about it, he writes to the church at Corinth and he said, Do this every time you think about the Redeemer and having to wait on him. Do this in remembrance of me. So then with that, we're going to have the Lord's Supper today. I want to give you a word about it, the way we do it here. We We invite all believers to come to the table and partake of the Lord's Supper. All that's required is that you be a a believer. You don't have to be a member of Bethel. But we do do ask that you are a believer, that you have come to faith in Christ. And by the way, if you haven't done that, we we can make arrangements for you before you leave, that you can take care of that. But we want to invite everyone that's a believer to partake. And if you haven't already uh, gotten your elements, please go to the back table and get those elements. If you're at home, you can certainly use whatever you might have and join us in, in communion today. We want to recognize that although although there was a time of waiting, that our Redeemer came to this earth. He gave his life so that all of us could be redeemed and restored. So we want to do what we do now in remembrance of him. So I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, to the church at Corinth and I need someone to help me Warren would you please bring me one I I didn't get one for myself because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 he says beginning at verse 23 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you thank you what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to share in this holy ordinance that we would be able to remember what you did for us. We honor you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all. Thank you for being with us today, both in person and online. And we pray that something this old crazy preacher said, was a blessing. Because I tell you, I'm only crazy because when I'm saying what I'm saying and preparing what I'm preparing, it it moves me. And I can't help it. Because I I just have to think about it. See, it's just not a lesson for me. It's more than that. It's not just a lesson. It's a life story. And when I think about it, Anybody get excited? My favorite team is the Cowboys. Look out now. Watch out. Watch out. I hear you over there grunting. And if if things work out, I'll be able to watch them this fall. And I promise you, when Dak drops back and finds C.D. Lamb going down the sideline for a 50-yarder, I'm not going to be able to control my emotions when he dances across that end zone and spikes the ball. You you know where I'm going with this. I don't even have to finish it, dude. The Lord has blessed me so good, the cowboys can't compare. And if I can jump up out of my I'm not telling you to do that. You worship however you want. I'm just asking you to excuse me. (laughs) Right? Because I'm going to jump up when, when C.D. Lamb crosses. And I, every time I think about Jesus, it's hard for me, Brother Bob. Y'all just have to bear with this old crazy preacher. Because God has been good to me. Amen. God bless you. We're going we're gonna to prepare now to be dismissed. Uh, thank you for being with us either in person or online today. We encourage you to be back with us on next week. The Lord. If the Lord says the same and the creek don't rise, I used to say that too, right? If the Lord, <laughs> amen. Lord, then we'll be back next Sunday to complete our journey through Ruth. And we'll look at how this thing ends and the, and the fact that the best or the better indeed does come. So we thank you for that. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you today, Lord. Be with us as we pray to leave this place, but never from your presence. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. thank you thank Thank you for being here thank you